you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Church. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I pray you're doing well. Uh, my name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here at Sozo, and we are so excited, blessed, and honored that you are hanging out with us this morning. It is a good day to be in the house. Amen? Yeah. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads in the room. Can we give it up for our dads real fast? Come on. Dutch Bros for Dads. I wish I could take credit for that, but it was my wife's idea. So, um, so we'll give we'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, we have a lot to cover this morning in our in our message. Uh, so I want to go ahead and jump right in. We are in a series through the Gospel of John. So if you've got a Bible or a flat screen phone, tablet thing, whatever you want to jump to John chapter eight. We are in John chapter eight, verse thirty. I think, maybe, maybe, I don't know, but we might actually finish up this this week. We, we covered the entirety of this discourse that Jesus has uh, last week, but this week I want to zoom in on just uh, one quick element of it before we, we move out of John. One more thing I think we need to see in John chapter 8. So if you've got John chapter 8, verse 30, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to read God's word. We love the Bible around here, Amen take it seriously. We give ourselves to the rigorous reading and wrestling with it. So let's go ahead and read John chapter 8, verse 30. It says, as he was saying these things, he being Jesus, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not 
of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you are not hearing them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right to say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and, and you dishonor him. Let's pray together, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we ask that this would be a place, a moment, an environment where, where we can encounter your word, where we can hear your word. Let the atmosphere be such that your word is not, is not apprehended or impeded by anything within us or around us. God, let your word go forth in this moment. God, let this be a place where you are free to speak. And Lord, in that environment, in that place, Lord, we ask also that you would give us the capacity, the ability, the supernatural ability to hear what it is that you're saying. Let us not be in this place and miss somehow what it is that you would say to us as your people, but rather, God, let us hear and receive and grab a hold of your word. Let it, let it go deep within the fibers of our being. Let it rearrange the way we perceive and process our reality. God, let it transform us from the inside, but not just from the inside. Let that internal transformation become an outward transformation, changing the very way we walk. God, we're asking that you would give us the grace to be doers of your word and not just hearers of it. Yes, let us hear, but also, God, let us do. Let us be transformed for your glory and the good of all people. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? All right, go ahead and greet somebody around you and grab a seat. Awesome, awesome. You know, I, I, I remember I remember the first time I decided to answer all of my son's questions. Anybody ever, anybody ever made that mistake, just deciding one day, you know what, I'm just going to answer whatever question they ask, whatever, whatever, whatever he says, I'm just going to answer. I'm not going to deny him the, 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 the dignity of answering his questions. But the number one question your children tend to ask is, why? So I decided one day, this is a true story, I was just going to answer whatever question he asked, whatever, whatever question he asked. So, so I remember this day he said, Dad, why, why is it raining? 
Well, buddy, the, 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 the sun evaporates water. It turns into clouds. He was maybe two, three years old. It evaporates into clouds. It becomes clouds. When those clouds get to a certain point, they, they, they release that water and it rains down. What did he say? Why? It's like, well, I think it has to do with the barometric pressure and uh, temperature, but I'm not really sure. Why? Why am I not really sure? Well, because I didn't really pay attention in school. Why? Because I think I was more obsessed with uh, the people around me and trying to be popular. Why? Probably because I felt insecure somewhere inside of myself. Why? Uh, because of, I don't, just, I don't know. Why, why, why? Here's the thing. Here's, why, here's, why, here's what I need us to understand. It is good to have a childlike faith when it comes to the Bible. You ever heard that before? I don't think what that means is we should just blindly accept whatever the scriptures say. I think when Jesus said we should come like children, we should come constantly asking, come on, why? 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 So this morning, I want to ask the question consistently and constantly to this passage, why? Under a message, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, we're going to talk about from book to breath. From book to breath. We're going to ask this text why? Now, Jesus starts, we, I read us verse 30, even though if you have ESV, they, they put a bracket, which is not divinely inspired, neither are the verse numbers, uh, in between verse 30 and verse 31. I wanted us to understand uh, where we start here in verse 30. We're told that these people were believing. They believed what he said, and yet Jesus starts by challenging, come on, their belief. He doesn't start rejoicing and clapping and patting them on the back and congratulating them for, you know, making a profession of faith. No, he actually starts by challenging their belief, by pushing back upon it. He pushes against their outward profession and acceptance of what he says. So I want to ask the question, why? Why does he do this? Why does he challenge them? Why does, he, why does he not take some time and, and just be gentle with them and sort of come alongside of them and walk alongside of them? Well, I believe that, that he does this because he says that, that we must abide in his word if we are to know its true intention and experience its true benefits. They'd made a profession. They'd said, yes, we, we believe. They'd, they'd sort of accepted what he said, but he's trying to tell them that that's not going to do you any good. Uh, it's, it's, let, me, let me be really as, as blunt as I can. Essentially, in essence, what he's saying is, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It, it hasn't accomplished what you had hoped it would accomplish. If you really want to understand what it means to, to, to be a disciple and experience the freedom that comes from that, you need to allow my word to abide within you. See, Jesus says that this must take place. Jesus says we must abide in his word. We must. Now, Jesus, Jesus goes on here, here and, 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 and there's, this, there's this thread that runs through everything Jesus is saying. He begins to talk about the Logos. Everybody say Logos. Now, confession. I, I've got something messed up here. This isn't what I put over there. Can you restart that and see if we can get this? There we go. Logos. It's just messed up on my controller. I love technology, which means I don't. Logos. It's Greek. Everybody love Greek? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Um, 
Greek. So, so logos, now there's, a, there's several words, and we're not going to get too deep into this this morning, but we need to have at least a rudimentary understanding of some of this. So, so, so logos here is one of the words in Greek for word. Word? So, so logos is one of the, the words for word, but, but each of the words for word in, in Greek sort of emphasize a different meaning of the word word. And in this one, what, what is emphasized by Logos is the, is the logic, the teaching, the doctrine, the account, the report of someone. Some people try to simplify this and say, well, Logos is the written word. And, and while certainly Logos is used to describe written words, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's this idea of this overarching logic and, and reason and testimony and that's the word that Jesus says must, we must abide in. Now, what we need to understand that for the first century uh, people, for the, for the audience that Jesus was speaking to, they understood this, this idea of logos to be really what was underlying everything in creation. This is how we understood our reality, how we understood the structures and the systems through which all of life existed. And so Jesus here is, is saying that, that you need to accept and receive. He's calling us and commanding us to abandon our received understanding of the world and rather embrace his teaching, his way, his life, his Logos. Everybody say logos. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to abandon those things that are contrary to that and grab a hold of his word. And we must abide in this to live in it, to dwell in it, to rest in it, to, to allow it to endure within us and wait for it and in it. And my question to that is, why? 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 Jesus says that this is the key, this is the, the thing that will ultimately, come on somebody, cause all of the benefits to manifest within us. So, so why if they're believers, here's my why question, if they're believers, why does he have to challenge them in this? Isn't that just an automatic, isn't that just sort of an assumed sort of response to believing? But he says no. He, he makes the argument here that there's a difference, hear me please, between accepting or maybe even agreeing with and abiding in his word. It's one thing to accept something, right? Like you hear the testimony of someone, you hear the report of someone, and you can sort of accept like, sure, maybe, yeah, okay, that's, that's your opinion. <laughs> we can accept something. It's another step to, to move to agree with it. Where we come to, to, to a place of, of agreeing with and saying, yeah, that, that is the truth. But then Jesus says there's another place, there's another progression that we need to get to where we begin to abide, come on somebody, in his word. Where we allow his word to, to take root within us. His word his logos must abide within us, catch this please, if we are to abide in it. His word must abide in us if we are to abide in it. See, this is why Jesus challenges them in this. This is why Jesus pushes against this. 
Because he understands, he says here, that they are unable to allow his word to abide in them. They reject it. They push against it. They will not receive what it is that he is saying. He says, my word, my logos finds no place in you. There's an inability within them to allow his word to, to, to take root, to abide in them. And, and it has to abide in us, come on, before we can abide in it. We have to move from, from simply accepting it or agreeing to it to allowing it to abide within us if we want, it, if we want to be able to abide in it. There is a problem in one's capacity. Come on, somebody. This is a problem of capacity. We, we don't have the capacity to allow it to be within us. He says, it, it finds no place in you. I speak it, but, and, it, and it comes to you, and yet there's nowhere for it to land. Do you know what Jesus' favorite phrase is in the New Testament? The thing he says more than he says anything else? He who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. You see, there's, there's something beyond natural that has to take place for us to be able to hear his word. See, despite, their, despite the external evidence that they wanted to abide in his word, catch this please, there's no internal evidence of that. They don't have the supernatural capacity to hear what he's saying. They, they're, they're missing it. He's saying it. They're hearing it, but they're missing it. They're, they're, they're unable to grasp it. They're unable to grab a hold of it. Despite the fact that their culture, come on, and their nationality and their race and their religion and their morality all seems to qualify them, Jesus says, no, you're missing the necessary ingredient. Sure, you're, you're the, the offspring of Abraham. Sure, you're morally upright people. Sure, you follow all the religious rules, but yet there's something, catch this, come on, internal that's not there. There's no place for my word to land. So it's just bouncing off. It's just, it's just skipping away. His word, come on, must abide in us if we are to abide in it. But why? Why is it that they, they, they're unable to bear it? Why is it that there's no place for it to rest? Well, we understand that for the unbeliever, the, the word of God is unbearable. Come on, somebody. That's what Jesus says. He says that you can't bear my words. You're, you're unable to, to contain the weight of them. They are unbearable to you. You lack the capacity to sustain the weight of what it is that I am saying. So they reject, catch this please, they, they reject his words because it accosts their intellect. 
it accosts their intellect. It, it comes against their, their, their logical way of thinking. They don't know the truth because they are committed to lies. That's what Jesus says. You, you, you don't know the truth because your, your natural language is one of lying. Isn't it interesting? If you actually look at what they, their arguments back to Jesus, they're all not true. Every single one of them is not true. They, they say, we are the offspring of Abraham. We're going to get to why that's not true in a minute. But they said, we've never been in bondage to anybody. That is, that, is, that is fundamentally not true. Like the start of Exodus, the people of God are in bondage. Like somehow being the children of Abraham does not guarantee or qualify them to never be in bondage. But the way they think, their intellect, their understanding, the way they perceive things, Jesus' words accost that. He comes against that. So, so of course, they, they recoil at it and they reject it. It's unbearable. No, no, no. I'm not a slave. We've never been a slave. Being Abraham's descendants mean I don't have to be a slave. Now, forget the fact that Exodus 2 says that they were slaves. Read the book of Judges. Most of that, they're in bondage, in and out of bondage. There's this whole book called Daniel. Always in bondage. Oh, by the way, forgot Rome rules over them right now. Rome has given them a form of freedom so that they can pretend like they're free, but they're not free. They're not free. Like even, even when they want to kill Jesus, they can't even do that. When they believe that he's against, come on somebody, he's broken their law and it's punishable by death under their law, they have to go ask somebody else for permission. The, 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 the words of Jesus accost our intellect but it doesn't stop there it also come on it offends our emotions the words of Jesus offend our emotions you see that in the way they respond this is an emotional reaction come on somebody they react emotionally because listen their desires are under the dominion of sin that's what Jesus says anyone who practices sin is a Slave to sin. That means that, that sin has dominion over their desires. They are in full bondage to it. But they can't receive that. They, they can't even see that. That's why, that's why Jesus doesn't. Come on. Jesus, does anybody here think that Jesus didn't know the Bible? Okay, like if, if, if you and I can figure out with, with our understanding of the scriptures that their testimony, that, they are, that, that the children of Abraham were never in bondage is, is fundamentally not true, do you think Jesus knew that? And yet that's not what he does. He doesn't go to them and say, well, I think you have a misunderstanding of your historical context. Let me explain the uh, political situation that you're in right now. No, that's because, why? Because that's not the point. He gets to the root of the real issue. You're in bondage. You are in slavery to, come on, sin. Sin has taken root in your life. It has taken root in your very nature. And to accept that, here's what you need to understand. To accept that truth is necessary for a, for a transformation from a physical birth to a new birth. 
but it takes a supernatural move of the Spirit. We refuse as natural people in our natural state, apart from the, the, the work and the move and the grace of the Holy Spirit, we refuse to believe that we are sinners. We refuse to believe that that sin actually puts us into bondage. We act just, come on, like they do. We have never been in bondage. I remember when I was an addict, I used to say this all the time, I can quit whenever I want. I just never wanted to. And that's actually, to be honest, really the, the foundation of what sin's bondage does in our life. It robs us from being able to do anything that we don't want to do. And Jesus comes and his, his logos, his logic, his testimony, his word, his perspective of reality offends, come on, their emotions. But it also does another thing. It assaults their identity. It assaults their identity. Why is it that they can't bear his word? Why is it? Why is it that they can't come under this new logic, this new truth, this new teaching? And, and by new, I don't mean that it's new as in Jesus created out of nothing. I mean it's new to them in their experience. Why is it that they can't do that? Why? 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 Jesus nails it on the head in verse 44 and 47, where he says, You are of your father, the devil. They had the wrong father. This is a birth problem. They have the wrong father. Despite their, their desire to identify as the offspring of Abraham, despite their heart to try to say even later that, no, God's our father. Jesus says, no, no, he's not, and you're proving that he's not by your behavior. You don't act the way Abraham acts. You don't love God because he's standing in front of you and you're trying to kill him. To put it really bluntly, their dad is the devil. They have a devil dad. That's, that's the issue. This is the, this is the real core of the problem. They were not who they thought they were. Hear me, please. And, and neither are you. Who we, who we perceive ourselves to be is not true because sin lies to us. Here's the real simple base lie of sin. Are you ready? You're good and God is not. That, that's, that's what sin tells us. You're good and God's not. You're able and he's not able. You can accomplish what needs to be done. God can't. You will, God won't. This... <laughs> If you rewind this thing back to the very beginning, that's the lie that the serpent says in the garden. Has God really said? Did God really even say that? You know what? God, I know God says that you, you heard that God said that if you eat that, you'll die. But actually, he hid something really good in what he told you was bad. And if you just do the thing that you know, deep down, you know that you should be able to do, you are free to do whatever you want.
So our received logos, our received word, our received testimony about our reality, come on, is fundamentally flawed. The truth that we naturally grow up believing is false because it is spoken to us by a father who only knows how to communicate in the language of lies. Maybe you're like me and you've been witnessing to somebody and they say, that just doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't. Because the language of the unbeliever is unbelief. It's a lie. The devil, he, he calls them their, their father the devil. This is, this is a blanket term. This is a, this is a colloquialism for what we might call Satan. That is the accuser, the adversary. But you need to understand about this, 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 this character, this person throughout all of the scriptures is that, that his, his constant uh, defining characteristic is that he is always contrary. Always, always, constantly. Whatever's said, he wants to say the opposite. So, by the way, if, 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 you're, if you're bitter and jaded and sarcastic and think that that makes you spiritual, it actually makes you like the devil. I love you. He's always contrary. If you're constantly always trying to, like, say the opposite thing. Ever heard that, the, 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 the phrase, the statement, the devil's advocate? Right? It's always constantly trying to play the other side. This is, what, this is what the devil does. This is what the enemy does. So then my next why question for me, why is Jesus any different? I mean, they, they talk about this here, right? They're arguing with them like, hey, we're, we're children of Abraham. And, and, and they even begin to throw out, come on, come on, cultural and racial and even, even they sort of insinuate his birthday. They begin to throw out slurs and slanders. They call him a Samaritan, which means he's just a half-breed. You're not even really one of us. So, so we, we ought to ask, come on, we ought to ask the same question. What makes Jesus any different? Well, Jesus points to his relationship with the Father, come on somebody, as the source of his logos, his word. He said, I'm not making this stuff up on my own. I received all of this from God, my Father. My parentage is different than yours, he says. This is why it's so fundamentally important for us to understand the gravity of Christmas, the incarnation, the Emmanuel, God, come on, coming to be with us. Because Jesus does not come just as another guru, just as another spiritualist, just as another teacher, just as another purveyor of some new logos, some new word, some thing to tickle our ears. No, he comes to us as the, come on, John 1 tells us, the logos, the word, the one that made and formed everything. And he says it's his relationship to the Father that gives him his logos. And by relationship, let, let, me, let me clarify what I mean by relationship. I mean relationship personally, his personal relationship. This is what we often mean when we talk about relationship, right? Like, like I know you, I know somebody, I have a personal relationship. The, 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 the sort of statement of, of well-meaning Christians over the last, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it's not a religion. 
It's a relationship. That's what we mean. It's a person. Do you personally know God? And while there's absolute necessity for that truth, also, if you've ever tried, if you've ever tried to witness to somebody and you say that, they're like, what? So you don't have to go to church? Well, no, I mean, we go to church. That's a religion. understand the heart behind it, but come on, somebody. we, We need to understand, Jesus says he has a personal relationship with the Father. There's an intimacy in his knowledge of who the Father is. He's received what he's giving to them, come on, through relationship, but through personal relationship. But I also think we need to understand that there's a proximal relationship that Jesus is speaking of as well. It's not just a personal relationship. It's not just, hear me please, it's not just that, yes, I know him, but, but he's also saying that I have a physical distance intimacy with him. It's my, let me, let me say it this way, it's my alignment with him, not just my awareness of him. I've, I, I, I'm in alignment with what he's saying. The best way I think I can, I can try to communicate this to you is this. Has, does anybody have somebody in their life who, who is a grammar Nazi? Right? Like they constantly correct you. Don't raise your hand if you are one. It's okay. We know. Um, right? So, so, so I, I remember, I, here's the truth. Here's what I've realized over the years. Everyone has their own little pet peeves about what they grab onto when it comes to communication. Right? Like, like for whatever stupid reason, I just don't like it when people end sentences and prepositions. I have no idea why. I don't even know all the rules of English, but I'm like, that one I know. <laughs> Jump on that one. So when my kids say, where's my baseball at? I go, right before the at. <laughs> and they're like, you're horrible. I know. My grandma, my Grammy had, had one of these, and I'd spend time with her in the summer, and I would ask this. I would say, can I go outside and play? And she would say this, I don't know, are you able? And I would say, I don't know, I'm six. (laughs) I don't even know what you're saying, right? Had a teacher in elementary school, I said, can I go to the bathroom? She said, you can, but you may not. I was like, I don't, am I just supposed to pee here? I don't understand what you mean by that at all. What, what, what these two things together, I think, give us in our relationship with the Father is you can and you are able. See, see having the, rela- the personal relationship means that you can. You have permission to have intimacy with the Father. But proximal relationship means you have the ability, come on somebody, to have intimacy with the Father. And we need both. Because, catch this please, this is the part where it gets good. Intimacy is what transforms logos into rhema. Now, y'all don't know what that means, so you're forgiven for not responding. But get ready. Logos and rhema, both words that mean word. So let's, let's go to what rhema means here. Rhema is, is also the word. It means word. So, so, so same thing here. So when Jesus, I'm getting this, I'm not just sort of bouncing around here in verse 47, when he said, whoever's of God hears the words of God, that word, word, is rhema, not logos. He switches all of a sudden. He's been saying logos, 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 rhema. 
What he's doing is, is he's, this is a, the, the, the slight difference. When, when, when he says rhema instead of logos, what he's saying is this is the speech of someone. This is the dialogue, the discourse, the saying, the message. It's literally the difference is breath. So we can say that intimacy takes logos and makes it into rhema, or what I want to say is intimacy takes book and makes it breath. Intimacy trans, trans, transitions us from, from having a relationship with a book to having a relationship with the breath of God. Now, bunch of you new age weirdos, nobody in this room, we find the breath in the book. This is not a call to abandon this. This is a call to actually understand how this works. Jesus here is saying, look, when, when, when you guys need to grab a hold of the Logos, this new fundamental framework and understanding of how the world works, who you are, who God is, and how all of creation works. And he says, you need to abide and let my, my Logos abide in you, and you need to abide in it. You need to let it find life in you. You need to find your life in it, because then from that place, come on, you are able to hear the word of God. You can't hear it. You can't hear the rhema until you abide in the logos. So it's in the book that we hear the breath. Are you tracking with me? We're not abandoning the Bible. Let's just, can I get like at least an elder or two to say amen to that so that people don't just leave the church? So, so how do we then, listen, listen, I spent this whole message telling you that you can't hear. So how do we hear? How do we get to the place to, to be able to gain access? How do we fix our relationship? If our relationship is broken, if our relationship is, is marred, if our, if, our, if our personal relationship and our proximal relationship is jacked up because of sin, how do we gain access to that? Here's the thing. Listen, are you listening? Or do, you have your, do you have your listening ears on? You ready? How do you fix it? You ready? I'll wait until you are. You can't. Let's pray. You can't. You, you, are, you are fundamentally incapable of fixing your problem. All the husbands should be saying amen to this. Come on. You, we, we, are, we are not able in and of ourselves. I, I just spent the last 30 minutes trying to convince you that you aren't able. I'm not now going to flip the script and say, so do these seven things and you'll be able. No, the reality is you are not able to fix your relationship with God. Nothing you can do can undo what has already been done. What you've inherited and what you've practiced is done. The reality is this, that Jesus has made a way and he, come on somebody, has done it all for you. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. Because you see, if, you, if, if the problem is sin and sin leads to bondage and bondage makes us unable to receive anything and we can't receive anything because our father is the devil, if you fix the father problem, you fix the receiving problem. 
If you fix the receiving problem, you fix the bondage problem. If you fix the bondage problem, you fix the sin problem. And I'm not just making this up. Romans chapter 6. You don't have to stand up for this one. Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 16. Here's what Paul tells us about what Jesus has accomplished for us as it relates to our bondage. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin, catch this, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. Come on, somebody. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standards of the teaching. Come on, that's the, the idea, the same idea Jesus was talking about, the teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin. Like two of you are mildly excited about that. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what was the fruit? But what, were the, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, come on somebody, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, now the pause, slide back there, 22. Eternal life has nothing to do with death. Eternal life is not, oh, when we die, we get to go to heaven. Listen, I'm super pumped that when I die, I can go to heaven. But the prayer of the believer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on as it is in so heaven isn't something that I have to wait for until after I die. Eternal life means an unending, un, unlimited life. Just need to make sure we get that. And that's available to you now. That had nothing to do with my message, but I just saw a soapbox and thought I'd jump on it real fast. 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, 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 so you can't do anything to get it. Come on. Because, because, because it, it's, a, it's a free gift. It's not, it's, 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 it's a free, it's, it, there are no strings attached. I, I like to say it this way. You can't earn it before you get it. But you also can't merit it after you get it. See, for years I thought, yeah, 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 yeah. Salvation is a free gift. I, I can't earn it. But now that I have it, I better show God that he was really smart in picking me. And I'll do all this stuff. I mean, I won't do all that stuff because that's bad, but I'll do all this stuff over here. 
And then he'll, then, then he'll know that he was, he was right in, in, in saving me. I'll merit this thing. No, that's a free gift means it's yours because he gives it to you. And here's what we need to understand. Freedom in Christ is true freedom. In Jesus, hear me now, you are truly free. Not sort of, kind of free. Not free later on, not free metaphorically, not free spiritually, but still bound practically. No, you are, come on, free. He doesn't say that you could be maybe free. Listen, I don't mean, it, okay, I want to be super, super, super careful in what I'm about to say, but I also need you to hear it. Here's the problem. The people that need to hear this are going to be the ones that are going to be the most offended, but you need to hear this. And so I, I don't, I, my intention is not to offend you in any way. But you need to hear what I'm about to say. I've done all the 12 steps. And listen, if they're working for you and you aren't falling back into the habits that you used to fall into, keep working the steps. But those steps can't really free you. They can just modify your behavior. Now, we are all super grateful. If you've ever been around an addict, you're super grateful when they get clean. Amen? But you being clean, you you can be as clean and sober as possible and still not be free. And what Jesus offers is true, real freedom. You are truly free in him. Let Let me say it to you another way. As in bondage as you were outside of Jesus is equally as free as you are in Jesus. So you know the whole front part of this message where I hammered on you about your inability to do what is right, your inability to hear the word of God, your inability to allow it to abide in you, your inability to abide in it, all of that is true, amen? Outside of Jesus. Inside of Jesus, the exact polar opposite is true. I like the way Paul says it here. He says, I'm using, I'm using human understanding here to tell you that just as you were a slave to sin, you're now a slave to righteousness. Now, some people get offended. In fact, there's a whole bunch of Bible translations out there that change the word slave to bondservant. But when we do that, and they only do it because they don't want to offend people, because we think of slave and we think of you know, the, our horrible, disgusting history as a country. But here's why I, I stand for the translation as slave. Because, because just as I was a slave to sin, I'm now a slave to God. In the, same, in the same way that sin controlled, come on, every aspect of my desire and had full dominion over me, God has that same thing now. Come on, somebody. This is the good part of the message. This is the good news. Jesus sets us free. What I am saying is that we deny the reality of Christ's redemptive work when we refuse to embrace and experience the full measure of Jesus' redemptive work in our lives. You are no longer a slave to sin. If you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. No longer. You say, well, but I have a history. I don't care. Your history is irrelevant to me. You say, but last night. Last night is irrelevant. But I don't know how to, it's irrelevant. But my experience is, what's, what's more real, your experience or the cross? 
Because the cross says you're free. Because on the cross, Jesus said, it, come on, is finished. Your sin's done. Your sin, oh, come on, your sin is done. You're free, you're free, you're free, you are free. He sets you free. Don't have time to preach this, it's in my notes, don't have time, but I'm just gonna tell it to you real fast because I have it right here and I love to quote A.W. Pink. Real men love pink. Um, A.W. Pink. He said this, I love this, when speaking about the freedom that Christ gives us from sin, he says, you are free from the penalty of sin, the pleasure of sin, the power of sin, but also the very presence of sin. You're free. I don't know how much more free you can get. If you want to study that more, he has a little booklet called The Fourfold Salvation. I think it's free on Kindle, which makes sense because it's free. Anyways, that's bad. The thing I need us to, the thing I need us to, to catch here is, as, as we land this is that it's all a gift. So the question is, will you receive that gift? Are you willing to receive it as a gift? And, and hear me right now, hear me right now. Christian, I'm not talking about the, un, the non-Christian only. I'm talking about you as a believer as well. That freedom, come on, is a gift. Will you receive it? What do I mean by receive it? Will you quit working for it? See, as long as you're striving... As long as you're laboring, as long as you're, as long as you're thinking like I used to think, that if I just try harder, I'll somehow get free. I love you. If, if, if you're anything like me, you've been trying harder for a long time. So, so please, please hear my, my, my gospel to you. If trying harder would have worked, it would have worked already. So stop trying harder and start trusting more. It's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's about leaning into him. Stand to our feet. See, we we receive it as a gift, the scripture tells us. When we repent and we believe. Now, I want, I want to talk to, the, to those who are not believers here this morning. You're being honest with yourself, honest with the Lord. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else in this room but you and Jesus. I'm just here to kind of talk to you for him in this moment. If you would be honest with yourself and say you are not following Christ, you are not in relationship, either personal or proximal relationship with Jesus, if you'd be honest about that, here's the truth. The way that you receive that gift is the Bible says through repentance and belief. Those aren't works. That's just the simple means by which you receive it. And let me explain what that means. Repentance simply means to admit and abandon. Admit that the logos, the word, the logic, the reason, the message, the truth, the word that you are holding on to is actually a lie. Admit it once and for all. Admit that it's, it's not real. And then abandon it. That's what a repentance means. Admit and abandon. We admit that it's not true and we let it go. And then the Bible tells us to believe. John said he wrote his gospel so that you might believe. That word believe means to embrace 
and entrust. So we embrace and we entrust Jesus, the Logos, the Logos, the, the actual truth, the actual word. We believe the truth, we embrace it, we entrust our lives to it. So we admit and we abandon the error and we embrace, come on, and entrust our lives to the truth. And when you do that, the scripture says in an instant, come on, you go from being a sinner, a slave, to being a son. Your parentage changes. And you're no longer a child of Abraham, an offspring of Abraham. You're no no longer your, your natural descendant. You're also no longer your spiritual descendant, your spiritual parentage in being a child of the devil. No, the Bible says you are adopted, come on, into the family of God. Your identity is fundamentally transformed out of his free gift. Because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, because of his ascension, there is a way made for you, come on, into the very heart, into the very family of God. That's the good news of the gospel. And I'm pleading with you, if you're here and you're honest with yourself, if you're at home watching wherever you're listening to this, if you'd be honest with yourself and with the Lord and you would say you're not in relationship, personal or proximal. If you're not there, I'm pleading with you to repent and believe, receive this free gift that he offers. And if you're doing that, I want to ask you if you'd be so bold to let us know, however you can let us know. Message us online, shoot us an email, find us on whatever social media platform we have to be on, fill out a welcome home card, let us know that you're doing that. Go talk to somebody in our prayer ministry, which I'll talk about in a second. Let us know, why? So that we can stand with you and rejoice with you and welcome you, come on, into the family of God. Here's what I wanna say to the believers in the room. You need to repent and believe as well. Because too many of us still buy into the lie that we're still in bondage. And so our experience, our experience tracks with that. And you need to do the same thing I just told the non-believers to do. You need to admit and abandon that that's not true. Let go of that lie. The word of God says you are free in him. So be free. Now, now I don't have time to, to dissect the whole passage in, in, in Romans, but, 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 but dive into that and study that for yourself. He talks about this sanctifying work that happens. Listen, God, listen, okay. Don't have time, but you're here. I love results. God loves process. God's totally good with process. You wanna know how I know that? Genesis chapter one. Does anybody in this room think that an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God needed six days to create everything? Or was he trying to show us something about himself? That he likes process. That he likes to roll out what he's doing in our lives. That there's, that there's, that there's, a, there's an unfolding of the way God moves in our lives. 
I say that you're free and your past doesn't matter, your experience is irrelevant, I'm not telling you to plug your ears and pretend like things aren't there. What I'm telling you to do is embrace a superior truth and reality found only in Christ. Engage in this unfolding of the freedom that is already, come on, yours in him. So we're going to respond now as we do every week. We believe that as we hear, we should respond. Amen? So we're going to respond. We've got prayer ministry, this, this area back here, this lit area behind the chairs. There's people back there that would love to stand with you and pray with you. If you're going through some stuff in your life, maybe some areas in your life where you need freedom, where you need breakthrough, where you need to, to, to be able to, to embrace the reality of what Christ has done for you, they'd love to stand with you and pray with you. We believe that something happens when we pray. Amen? It's not just a religious ritual. It's not just ceremony. It's not just a cultural Christian thing. We actually believe, the Bible says that when we pray, stuff happens. So if you're going through something, I would encourage you to let somebody stand and pray with you. We also respond through singing, through celebrating, through, through, through lifting up our voices and exalting and encountering Jesus. The last way we respond is through communion. There's little communion cups around. Saw them as you walked in. If you don't, you can make your way. They're individually wrapped communion cups, so that way nothing's messed with. Everybody's safe. Right now, I just want to pray for us and then give us a chance to respond. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. We trust and believe that your presence is here with us trust and believe that you move in our midst. Lord, I ask that you would grant repentance and belief to every person in this room that needs it today. Be that because they are separated in their relationship with you, or be that because they, 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 are, they are still in bondage and believing a lie. Ask that you would move mightily in this room. That God, we would we would set our attention and our affection upon you. Because it's only in you, it's only in you that we find the freedom that we were designed for and that you desire for us. Jesus, be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.